Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Watching Rum Buncher Radio. This is episode number 68. A little bit of a hiatus, guys. Thank you for joining us tonight. Marty Leap and Trey Entity with you tonight. We are rejoined by one of our favorite guests, a guy that has his finger on the pulse, one of the hardest working guys in Pittsburgh, following the Pirates, covering the Pirates, broadcasting for the Pirates, a former Pittsburgh Pirate himself, the Fort, Michael McHenry. Been about a year now, Fort. I think it's been a little bit too long since we've had you on the show. Excited to break down this season, talk about this offseason, what's to come. But how have you been since the last time we saw you? Man, it has been too long. I, I like talking ball with you guys. You guys are some of the best, not just in Pittsburgh, but really in the entire region and possibly in the entire country about, you know, your knowledge of the game, your growth in the game. So always have a good time with you guys. And, um, yeah, just just been trying to grow, get control of life, um, enjoy the days that that we have and, and, and maximize the moments that I get because you know, I think there's been a lot of perspective over the last, you know, 18 months, 19 months. and how crazy it's been and how much we should enjoy each and everything we get to do, especially going to the ballpark. I mean, being able to be in front of fans and do the broadcast, whole different animal, being able to you know be around all these guys like this weekend was with, with, with KY got to talk about development, got to talk about some of the things that were going on behind the scenes and kind of his thoughts and his outlook and, you know, getting to talk to scouts in Chicago and getting to talk to old timers. It's just, it's so cool because that's what baseball is. I guess the best way to put it, that's where baseball is so different than every other sport. It's a giant family. And it's amazing that everybody just wants to kind of like shoot the breeze and talk about life and talk about ball. And what can we do to be better? How can we do this better? Who do you like here? It's just, it's just really neat to have that back. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, you were very close with the team in 2020 and you guys didn't get to travel and do everything else. You didn't have fans at the ballpark. I mean, it was a weird season and just to have all that back. Obviously, it hasn't been an ideal season for the Pirates, but just to have the fans back in the seats and, you know, to have baseball back where it was is, is such an exciting feeling. And Mike, you know, it, one of our favorite parts of having you on the show is just the inspiration, the motivational quotes, everything else. You bring so much positive energy, uh, you know, your Twitter account as well. You go through it. It feels like I'm I'm listening to a public speaker. So, uh, you know, and one of the one of the biggest things I feel like I've noticed on your Twitter is trusting the process. And for Pirates fans, I think that's uh, you know that's an important thing throughout this rebuild, throughout these last couple of seasons. It's just trusting the process, trusting in this front office, and get us started tonight. I want your your real take on things and where we stand in this process and how 2021 got the Pirates closer to you know some sustained success. Where do they stand after two seasons of this rebuild? Before we continue with this episode, guys, I have to tell you about our friends at manscaped.com and all the things that they can do 
for your balls. And no, I'm not talking about baseballs. Maybe they're hairy. Maybe they're itchy. I don't know what the case is, but Manscaped is here to help. All you have to do, go to manscaped.com. Check out the new lawnmower 4.0. Has a dual rotary blade system, LED lights, all the bells and whistles. This thing is a really good razor, guys. I use it myself. Our entire team at Rumbuncher Radio has been using this product for the last few weeks, and we absolutely love it, guys. And you can love it, too. All you have to do is go to manscaped.com and use the code FANSIDED20 for 20% off and free shipping at checkout. That's code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off and free shipping. This is an out-of-this-world deal, guys. This deal is going on not only in the United States, but in Canada, the United Kingdom, all over Europe, Asia, anywhere in the world, you guys can get your balls cleaned up, and we're here to help. Again, guys, that's code FANSIDED20 at checkout. Well, first, like, if you want sustained happiness, you, you have to embrace the process. So, you know, so often we're looking so far ahead and so far behind. You know, the the, the past is an opportunity to teach us. So you look back at the, the teams in the 70s and how good they were and some of the great players that have been in Pittsburgh and you learn from them. What was like, what was so special about those teams? We are family. Like what were they doing? Why were they so close? And you, you start to learn that, Hey, these guys loved each other. They, they embraced each other's personality. They actually exuberated the guys that they needed to exuberate. They, they pushed the guys they needed to push. They made fun of the guys they needed to make fun of. And it was a team and a culture that was built through each and every individual that was collectively looking at the common goal ahead and running. And they enjoyed the process, you know, and you hear the stories, the nicknames and the silly stuff they did. So you learn from that and then you get down the road and you get to this point where we're at now. We're in the process of the growth. We're in the process of the understanding. We're in the process of kind of gaining the educational knowledge to see what they're doing. I mean, I, I, I feel like when they fired, uh, fired Rick Eckstein, he was a great human being, a great hitting coach, but didn't match the philosophy that they wanted to go with. That gave me something. That gave me an understanding of, okay, these guys are trying to figure out a way to produce more runs. Now we've seen them run more. We've seen them bunt. We've seen them walk more. We've seen them try to do some things. And it kind of makes me wonder if they are thinking about more or less like an offensive approach as a team and then individualize it backwards. So you, you look at it and say, here's our offensive strategy. A lot of teams have an offensive strategy coach. And then we work down. How can Cole Tucker – maximize within this strategy day how's he match up against alcantara go and then he makes that plan but he has every bit of information that he could possibly have with realness authenticity and transparency and then you go from there so it's it's one of those things i think it's just going to take time i think we've seen some growth in some of these guys already but i i really don't know what they're doing with their pitching i i really believe in greg brown as well that the starting pitcher is is fading, um, but I do believe that there's so much value in the Wade Miley's, the Wainwrights, the Greenkeys, the guys that can produce innings, and also guys that can actually eat up innings. You know, and I think that's something the Pirates probably look at moving forward. But how close they are, this is an argument that no one wants to have in the office because I I always say it depends on. The, the guys at hand because Nick Gonzalez could be in the big leagues next year. Um, there, there's no reason Burroughs can't be in the big leagues. There's no reason any of those guys in Greensboro can't be in the big leagues that are really doing some big things. Same things with O'Neill Cruz, Contreras, all those guys, because at the end of the day, we have a new regime this year. You can wash away. Next year is going to be the opportunity where like, 
okay, now we see the philosophy. Now we see the movement. Now we see what's going on because they're putting all the pieces in play now. And I think next year we're really going to have an idea like how fast this could go. That's a great point. I mean, you know, this is the first, uh, you know, this season, I guess next season is the first chance to, to really see the philosophy. How should Pirates fans feel about, you know, the guys that they have in place right now? The Derek Sheltons, you know, the, the coaches that they've brought on in these last couple months. You know, I guess what's your take on Derek Shelton? There's been some some interesting moves and, and we've talked about this, you know, maybe some of the bullpen decisions, maybe some of the moves that we don't agree with. But, you know, it, how, how true of a Derek Shelton is this? You know, is next season the first year we really get to see his philosophies come into play? Yeah, I think the winning aspect is probably last on the priority list. I hate to say that, but that's the reality until they, you know, like today, Brian Riddle's pinch hit in, in the ninth inning. Well, they had a chance to win the ball game, but if it wasn't in that, that situation, it would never happen. So I think they're trying to balance out a lot of different things of protecting these guys and balancing out looking forward, being now, and also looking back at the track record that they've had. Like, Shreve is probably the most valuable guy in the bullpen right now, period. Didn't even matter if his numbers, he pitches every day, but he's 31. He's a journeyman. And those guys are going to have to, you know, especially going into next year, you start getting, you know, baby Thor back. You start getting these guys with electric stuff coming out of the bullpen. You got to protect them. You got to have guys that can fill two, three innings pretty consistently. So I think that's more of what they're doing. They're trying to like, I guess, navigate and mitigate all the things that they believe are right, whether they're right or not, time will tell, but that's the reality that, that, that we're kind of living. And I think as the season's ending, they're letting it go. They're like we're, we're towards the end minus the pitching, Like here, here's your chance. Go, here's your chance. Go and see what everybody has. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. One thing too, I, I think that's great to see right now with the pirates is they're coming out in the end here, actually playing probably some of the best baseball they have all year. I believe they're, I want to say either 6 2 and 1, 7 2 and 1, something like that in their most recent series. They're like 14 and 14, their last 28 games played or so. It's okay. No one ever wants to be a 500 club, but with how they've played this year, if you can finish this way, you're going to take that because, you know, I'm sure you you can attest to this as a former player. That's going to give you confidence and give you momentum heading into the offseason. And especially this is. I think a pretty big offseason for them, you know, this afternoon we saw eight guys promoted from double A AA to triple A. And on that list, you have an O'Neill Cruz, Ronzi Contreras, Cal Mitchell, you know, Kanan Smith and Jigba, Mason Martin, all guys who you expect to play a big role next season. And you can really start to see them graduate and start to really get these pieces of what the pirates are going to look like moving forward in place. And I think that's where it would be, a huge shot in the arm for the entire organization to have that confidence, have that momentum going into the off season. So when you look ahead to 2022, you know, Nick Gonzalez, another guy you mentioned who probably is going to make the big leagues next year. I think that by the end of the 2022 season, you could see this 26 man roster just completely overhauled and really start then to see the guys who are going to be the guys when they make the postseason again, they start to contend again. And I, and I, I ask you guys, like, how much of a difference have you seen? Like, you've seen some pretty big jumps with some of these younger guys. And you can kind of see how development, like a great example is, you know, Max Krennic that pitched today. He goes home uh, 2020. 
gets a rap soto, kind of learns who he is. You know, today he had a filthy breaking ball. The time before he had a great changeup. And you can kind of see, okay, well, if this guy gets pushed to the bullpen, you know, the first three innings, he was 96, 97 for the most part. He'd fall into the 94s, but he had a 93 minute hour cutter. So you think about pushing that guy out and how much that maximizes your bullpen. But the way the game is, he becomes a leverage guy. So he's a three, two to three innings leverage guy. And that's where the game is probably going. Uh, I'm going to be very interested to see that that's how they formulate it next year after the MLBPA and, and, and the MLB kind of whatever they work out and however they get this done. But I, I'd like to know, like you guys, like, you know, what do you see some of the trends being and some of the things you like, some things you don't like, and some of the possibilities because, you know, there's so many ways they could take, you know, this next step. Yeah, that's one thing I'm really curious to see too. And, you know, maybe looking back on it in hindsight now, the 2014-2015 Kansas City Royals, I think we could really look to where they really kind of started to usher in this new era of baseball where they're like, hey, you know what? Our starting rotation, it's okay. It's not great. We've got a dominant bullpen. Let's ride this bullpen. And we've seen it since then. The Indians have done it since then. We see Tampa Bay doing it. Like you said, Michael, you really start to see the value of that true starting pitcher kind of start to wane a little bit. And I, I am really curious to see moving forward. Kranick, I think is a great example of that. I think Chad Cole is another guy who could fall into that oh, line. Bro. Yeah. of oh, <clears throat> Really giving you those two to three innings out of the bullpen, maximize that stuff. I know one guy that a lot of people were critical of this year that I thought for the most part pitched pretty well. And I really liked him. The reason I liked him is because he can do that as a Dwayne Underwood Jr. type. You know, can go out there, give you two to three really good innings, maximize your stuff, and pitch in high leverage, pitch in long relief, eat innings when need be. I definitely think that's the future of baseball right now. Um, And I think with the Pirates, with how much pitching talent is accumulated in the minor league system, it's something that could work in their favor. Because obviously not all of these guys are going to pan out as starting pitchers. They never do. But – let's say of your top 10 starting pitching prospects, three of them hit as top of the rotation starting pitchers and another four or five of them hit as guys who can be plus relievers. Your roster is in really good shape to win baseball games moving forward. Yeah. And and two, like the thought would be is like that revolving door effect of having a guy come up, come down, come up, come down. It's really hard to do as a starter relievers have a lot more success with it because they'll come up and they may pitch that first day, but it's, it's really good if they don't have to, then they get their bearings, they throw, they get loose. They kind of work out the mobility issues. Cause I think Kranich was, that was one issue he had today. I'm sure he's on the taxi squad, but he's sitting in the clubhouse watching the game. It's completely different. Everything changes. And these guys are way too tied to the routines. They need to learn how to adapt and overcome a lot more. But at the end of the day, I think being able to do that and being a part of Tampa, that's how they train their guys. They, they started doing that in the minor leagues. Their starters that were formerly starters that would probably start for just about any organization, two innings here, three innings, one inning, three innings, one inning, two innings, three innings. So they go up and they would know, Eric, this guy's got the ability for three innings, you know, the next couple of days. And I think if we start seeing that trend and them doing that, expect the next trend to be, where can we find value like a Peters that we can throw him out there and, and, and let him go no matter what, like 
five innings, six innings, he's going to go out like Tyler Anderson, another great example, because you have to have some balance or you're going to have what we had with Underwood is the guy's leading in appearances. And that doesn't count how many times he's gotten up, which they're really good about, you know, protecting these guys. But man, yeah, that's the big thing I'm excited to see because I can't figure out exactly what they're trying. I think they're kind of playing the whole thing around and seeing what they have. And then they're going to maximize what they have. And that's going to be the plan. Instead of like making the plan and trying to put the guys in it, I think they're doing the opposite. Which I think is a smart play. I mean, you know, it's been it's been quantity over quality. That's what we've seen from the minute Ben Sherrington got to town. And it makes you comfortable to know that you have a Max Cranick and all these other kids in the minor leagues, the Will Crows that are also major league ready. And, you know, it, it kind of leads to the question, Michael, and, and Marty, too, you know, what does the future of the bullpen look like with, with the way the starter is changing? You know, do you have your, your typical closer still? Do you, do you have your typical setup man? Or, you know, is it just whichever guy is ready to go at that moment? Before I, Marty, I want you to answer this. But I want you to think about, so everything's based around the dollar in the game. Like if you're a closer, you get paid more. If you're a setup man, you get paid more. So there's always going to be a fight for those leverage roles. So if they'll change the way they value those certain things, like like if they do it in the sense of like, hey, in the fourth inning, the highest leverage part of the game, because they they value those. So you can see those values through analytics. So if they played these out, it would change the value of certain innings and the players would go all in on it because the agents would get paid more. And the agents would take, hey, you, you need to tell them you'll pitch in the seventh when, you know, you have Otani and Trout coming to the plate in a game-tying situation because that's the biggest moment of the game. And also it would be great for baseball. So you're, you're going best first best. So especially with the DH probably coming into both leagues, that's the things you got to think about. So take it away, Marty. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, like, look at the Pirate bullpen, for example. Let's say you, you have a game against Cincinnati, and it's the seventh inning, and the Pirates up by run, and they're going to be sending Votto to the plate. They're going to be sending Castellanos to the plate. They're going to be sending Moustakas. I want David Bednar in the seventh. I want Chris Stratton in the seventh. Don't save them for the eighth or ninth inning, because if you try and save them, you may never get to that eighth or ninth inning with the lead. And, you know, to circle back again to Kansas City, and then 2014-2015 there, that was one of the things I thought Ned Yost always did a great job of with those teams. And part of the reason why those teams went to the World Series twice and won one, so he wasn't afraid, rather it was Calvin Herrera or Joaquin Soria when he was there, whoever it might have been, he wasn't afraid to throw him out there in the sixth, seventh inning. Hey, we got to put this fire out now because if we don't, we, we may never be able to cross that bridge down the line to protect this lead anyway. And I agree with you that I think if pitchers – start to become more willing and more accepting to that role, it's only going to benefit them. You know, it, you look at when Andrew Miller was at his prime, he was one of the most viable pitchers in baseball. And that was why look at Josh Hader now, you know. Hey, real quick, both starters, former starters. Both former starters, yeah. You know, and I think that plays a role there. Like, look, like I said, Hader now, if the Brewers are facing a team, the one-run lead in their top of the lineups coming up in the eighth, you know Craig Council is going to go to him in the eighth inning and gleam him for the ninth. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's valuable to be able to do that. And I think as time goes on, I think you will see more relievers warm up to that idea. And, you know, a big part of it too, obviously, anyone who's been an athlete at any level, you want to win too. And if doing that's what's going to help your team win, you're going to be more accepting of it also because it doesn't matter if you're playing – 
Little League Baseball, high school, college, and the pros, but you want to win. You want to win a championship. You know, that's part of what makes sports fun is winning. So you're going to do whatever it takes to win. And if you can, as a result, make some extra money in the process as guys warm up to saying, hey, I'm not a closer. I'm not a setup man. I'm a high leverage guy. You know, yeah, like it. yeah exactly. I love yeah, it. I think I love it could really change a lot of things in baseball. Yeah. And, and, and too, I have a question for you guys because so, you guys are outside the box thinkers like I am. Is so. <clears throat> People, I, I get the question all the time, like, oh, it's the same old thing, blah, blah. We're not going to spend any money. And so instead of like, I kind of don't appease it. I, I, I just say, you know, I think they're doing things a lot different. But I was like, maybe I should just start trying to think about like, what could you do really different to maximize this team? And I'm going to run an idea by you that I think would just take off is like, what if, Bob Nutting walked into the clubhouse in spring training and said, all right, guys, if you guys do th- whatever whatever you want to say, I'll give you $50,000 bonus. And like put – like he's saying, "I'm if you do what you do, you'll get rewarded. And that becomes a trend around the league. You're not only getting a bonus for really performing – outperforming, right? Like I was trying to think of all the areas that they could really like be really different. Like for example, your team, like uh, for making the all-star gold glove, all this, it's some teams are 5,000, some teams are 10,000. Well, what if he did a hundred? I mean, how many guys want a gold glove? How many guys, you know what I mean? But like, if a guy was like, man, I could win that if I'd go, what if they did a million? And it's just like, he's betting on if, Jacob Songs has a platinum glove. He becomes a national name. So it's good for everybody. So everything mm-hmm. that would happen would be market more, brand more, push more, all those things. So I have a lot of different ideas. There's two like, you know, thoughts that are kind of outside the box. And then one other one, take it away, is, is I can't figure out why they don't find the guys that they're like, all right, Brian rules is our guy and say, all right, Brian, we will – Take this amount of money, and right now they could do here's this $10 million signing bonus. Here's your pay, and then we want to keep you on board as long as you'll be here, and we'll pay you for like X amount of dollars. Very similar to like Max Scherzer and these guys that are good people. Obviously, Bobby Bonilla, you know, they had to restructure that, but like <laughs> yeah. it's something that I know Cut, me and Cutch talked about when he was trying to figure out if he could stay here is like, Hey, why don't you just, you know, push push the money down the road? I'll be here, I'll be around, I'll come to those yeah. trainings and all that stuff. So you're really just paying for him to be around forever. And why wouldn't you want him around forever? And then you get to keep him, the fans happy. There's a lot of different areas that I think you can get really creative. And I challenge you guys to start thinking about it. And I'd love to banner with you anytime. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's that's intriguing. Especially, I, I really like the idea of the push the money down the road kind of thing. Cause, like you said, it's it, it benefit the way I look at it, it benefits you in the now as a player because you get that assurance that you're going to be paid down the road. It benefits you as a team because you're going to have this guy as a player, you're going to have more money than spend to put other pieces around him to help you win now, and you're also going to have him around as an instructor, as an assistant coach, whatever it might be to help your younger players come along even after their playing days might be done. So that's definitely something that I think, you know, 
that could work in not just with the pirates, not just in baseball, but anywhere, you know, that that's, you won. It's a, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you're a baseball exactly. player, you, you're a teacher, whatever it is, you always want to have that kind of mentor to help you along early in your career. And that's mm-hmm. where that definitely could really pay off. Yeah. And I think, you know, for small market baseball, it just makes so much sense because, you need that money, you know, to the, to go build that team. And, you know, you I think culture is the word that comes to my mind when you think about it, because that allows you to to build a better culture. And, you know, it kind of links back to our conversation a minute ago about guys, you know, not getting married to being a starter, being a bullpen guy. You know, it takes a certain type of guy. It takes a certain culture. I think, you know, those kind of ideas build that culture. You know, I think culture is important everywhere. But I think for teams, for cities like Pittsburgh, for markets like Pittsburgh, Culture is vital. And, you know, ideas like that, I think, really give you that that base of culture, at least. Uh, you know, this season, there was, um, you know, there was a weird kind of culture, but you see it building. And we've had the chance to talk to some of the, the draftees and, you know, some of the minor leaguers. But, Michael, you're, you're a little bit closer with them. What are you what are you noticing from this culture? What's kind of the feel? What, what's the the overall, I guess, just culture right now in the minor leagues all the way up to the bigs? I, I think they've shaken the hornet's nest. I, I think it's completely different. I think guys are allowed to have personalities more than ever before. I, I think that, you know, like we did a special or they did a special on AT&T and, you know, getting a belt after they hit the home run and stuff. That's not something you would have seen with no knock to the old regime. They were just more, you know, collared shirt, khaki pants, business casual. Like it, it nothing wrong with it. it. It worked, but like they had a different look. They had a different feel and you could see it in the interviews. You could see it in, 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 in the body movements. You could see how tense it was at times and how guys, you know, maybe didn't perform the way that it could because they didn't have the freedom. And you're starting to see that freedom. But a lot of them had to break it to pieces. Like some of these guys like JT Brubaker are still trying to figure out how to get rid of the old thinking and become himself and, and, and really own who he is and pitch – like there's no tomorrow and stop trying to pitch. Right? Like one of my least favorite things I hear is like, oh yeah, we're trying to induce a double play right there. You don't induce a double play. You, you literally have to pitch like your back's against the wall, high level <clears throat> pitch every single time. And then that'll create it. Yeah. Do you have more ground ball pitches? Absolutely. But you're not saying, all right, I'm going to throw this slider because it's 55% ground ball rate. So it goes off the end of the bat. If they were that good, we, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't, it would just happen, right? Those things should never be said. You should be trying to punch tickets, get swing and misses constantly, and you're going to create soft contact. And I think you're starting to see that. You see, you know, Kranich today, six strikeouts in a row. You see Crow start to strike guys out. If you look at his numbers, if he strikes out more than five, it's a great start most of the time. And that's, that's the reality. Like a lot of things they're doing, they're trying to shift mindsets. And how long that takes, I'm not sure. But I think we're starting to see some of it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this is it's so much of a different feel than what we had mm. before. And, you know, these are modern age thinkers in this front office. You can tell it's a very modern stance on things. Do you think that's kind of the way baseball is going in general? I mean, do you notice a lot of front offices kind of taking this looser, kind of more freedom stance on things? Yeah, I think that's how you maximize development. Um, and you also let the cream rise to the top. Um, you'll know who's taking these player plans and these suggestions and implementing them. But there's also guys that can maximize and leverage them and get more out of it. So I'll use the greatest example of all, Mitch Keller. If, if 
everything I've I've come to know and 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 I see right in front of my face, and you guys can you know let me know what you think is he has to go and do it on his own. Mm-hmm. If if it was if if I'm a coach or if I'm a you know front office, I'm gonna go to Mitch Keller and say, hey, you have one chance. Go find the best pitching people. Go see Tom House. Go to Florida mm-hmm. Baseball Ranch. Go to Driveline. Go anywhere you want on your own dime. Come back and be the guy you can be. Because you need to find something new. You need to get everything out of your head, everything out of your way, and become who Mitch Keller needs to be. And if it's like straight lace, no emotion, if it's high emotion, high energy, low energy, like maybe serial killer type, who knows? It's just find it, run with it, and like understand who you are. Because that's the hardest part watching guys. It's like you're just seeing him searching for like who he is, what type of pitcher he wants to be, the identity he's trying to create. Because you can't have a plan. You're, you can't pitch the guy in front of you. You have to pitch off your stuff first. And I pray that that's what happens. I've seen some guys in the past do that, and it completely changed their career. Two of them were all-stars this year. They were friends of mine. They they took ownership in their career and took off. So, Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, you know, sometimes I think it is just up to the guy, like Mitch yeah. Keller. And, you know, kind of getting specific on him. We talk about Mitch Keller a lot on this podcast. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> – a lot, a lot more bad than good recently, but, you know, we see that potential and we've seen it in the past. Do you think this is it for Mitch Keller? Do you think the Pirates give him 2022 to try to continue to figure things out or what's kind of the outlook there? Uh, I think if if the year started out different, I think he started in the minor leagues. Um, possibly. I mean, a lot of it has to do with, you know, making sure they were take, taking care of other guys and he was kind of just the fit at the time. He had a terrible spring, but if he can really utilize all these bad outings and not even think about the good, I wish he would just focus all bad. Like, honestly, like I think that's what he needs and learn from it and grow from it and then take ownership. Yeah. I think he's going to be back. Um, I I think he's going to have a very short leash depending on how he comes back from the off season because I'm pretty sure he still has some options left. Yeah, Um, he does. Yeah. So you can, you, you want to always try to hold on to that because no matter what, he can be depth. And if it kind of transitions into, hey, he's starting the minor leagues, we need you for three innings, you're going to go to the bullpen. That's where all that stuff could start playing out, especially mm-hmm. with the DH. Yeah, because that's one thing I've thought about a lot too with Keller with the minor leagues. You know, you look and going into next season, Bryce Wilson's going to be in the starting rotation his third year. They're going to want Miguel Uray in that starting rotation his third year since he'll be back healthy. With the way he's pitched, it, it'd be very difficult not to give Dylan Peters every opportunity in the world to start 2022, see what he can do. And I'm assuming they're probably going to want to bring in at least one or two starting pitchers this offseason just because they need depth. And, you know, you're – yes, you're still rebuilding. Yes, as we talked about, you're going to have a lot of your prospects graduate next year. But at the same time, you don't want to go into 2022 with the same outlook of this season of like, okay, we're not going to contend and we're not even going to – not necessarily not try to, but like you get what I'm saying? Like we – we're, we're going to start making moves towards contending and start making moves towards winning more and that sort of thing. So I, I've thought that as well, where the possibility is there where we could see Keller start next season in, in the minors and potentially transition to that role. Cause I definitely think, you know, obviously he's got the stuff where he could be filthy out of the bullpen over a two or three innings at a time. Excuse me. And now to his credit, he has pitched better since he's yeah. returned from the minors in August, but still it's just, 
it seems like every game there's that one inning where he just really labors through it. And until he learns to cut back on that, and I agree with you, I think it's him taking control himself. You know, he's been with two different regimes. I'm sure he's worked with tons of different coaches, things like that, trying to help him harness it. You know, it, the ball's in his court. And if he doesn't get to the point where he can avoid having one or two of those innings per start, he's never going to truly reach his potential starting pitcher. But again, like we said, if you can reach your max potential as a reliever, you still can go on to have a very good major league career. So I think that's one of those situations where I think the Pirates, one of their biggest questions and one of the biggest decisions they're going to have to make this offseason and through spring training is going to be what they're going to do with Mitch Keller when the 2022 season begins. And the thing with Keller, too, and we've talked about this before, Trey, and Michael, I'll get your opinion on it, too, where I, I think another factor here is you look at, you know, you've brought in Bryce Wilson, you brought in Miguel Ure, you brought in Ronzi Contreras, who's quickly approaching, might, might have been the majors already had he not gotten hurt this season. You know, Carmen Majinski has pitched extremely well this year and is a college pitcher. He's going to rise to the system quickly. Omar Cruz has pitched really well and is probably in a similar back end of the rotation to reliever kind of role. There's guys coming who are going to potentially pass him up also that I think also is a factor here for Keller and will probably factor into the Pirates' decision-making. You're exactly right. And if you're Mitch Keller, the only thing that if fear of mine is, is that he's too comfortable. The guys have gotten too comfortable because you don't see what we've seen over the last two years. Like you don't see guys – you know, spend a full season in the major leagues that are really struggling all year long, but they just didn't have depth. They didn't have that ability. Mm-hmm. They got to let these guys in the minor leagues, even if they are playing better, like O'Neill Cruz, probably any other year, especially after not after a pandemic here, he's in the big leagues. Mason Martin's probably in the big leagues. Um, a lot of these things like would probably be a lot different if last year wasn't the way it was, but they're trying to make sure that these guys get that, that year to get it back. And you, you have to kind of look at it that way. But like with Mitch Keller, if he doesn't chase something this offseason, I, I I think he comes back the same guy and, and he doesn't really know who he is or what he's trying to do. And if, if I was him, I would go find a Joe Bimel or somebody that has an idea how to maximize his movements because he's stiff as a board. And I think if he just tried to throw the ball as hard as he could with every pitch right down the middle, I think he'd almost be unhittable. But he has to maximize that that type of movement because that's what they're working on, 100% trying to get him to stay in a better posture, better hinge position so he can use the rubber, work down the mound. But he's so lethargic in his movements. And if you want to throw fast, you have to move fast. Like you look at what Glassnell did. That's exactly what he did. He was so athletic. They simplified his approach. He was already on his way when he was here. And then when he went there, he got the freedom to completely let go and go punch tickets. No more contact. Literally go sit everybody down and make, them, make sure they go back and they have a hurt feeling. So it made him an animal. You know what I mean? That, that feels, it feels good when you're dominating another man that's 60 feet, six inches away, away that's trying to hit a fastball right off your face. You know, that, that's going to build that confidence. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt. And, you know, you don't want this to turn into that situation. It's a different regime, you know, of course, but that's something we've worried about, you know, 
you, you don't want to pull the plug too soon and then go let a Mitch Keller dominate somebody else because he does have this stuff. We've certainly seen it. But like you said, and you know, at times he's in his head and, you know, he is a little bit slower and, uh, you know, just got to get it cleaned up. Going to be a fun one to follow there. Let's talk about the rest of this offseason and maybe any other, any other signings you see, maybe some veteran pitchers like we saw this past offseason, some other guys and, you know, who you see them bringing in uh, going into 2022. Yeah, I guess it kind of starts with like who, who you see is going to stay. Um, and that's where, like, I'd like to ask you guys, cause I, I, I hear the guys at the office kind of banter back and forth all the time. And some guys like this guy and this guy, and, you know, like to hear what you guys think. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you guys think? Like Newman, Alford, um, Tucker, all these guys that are kind of like in between that could go either way. Uh, Perez, Michael Perez, another guy that like, you know, you look at all these guys and then I'd like to know like your thoughts and. Maybe we can talk about why. Yeah, I think uh, of that group there, I think Kevin Newman's definitely one who's helped himself a lot over the last month or so. Actually, I just wrote something about this the other day about him finishing the season extremely strong offensively, which has been great to see, especially with the defensive strides Newman's made this year because he's gone from being a very poor defensive shortstop. I mean, yes, his fielding percentage has always been great, but as anyone who – is not stuck in a super old time fashion way of thinking those you cannot. I like, I would argue that sometimes you'll see shortstops with a poor fielding percentage. And I think this could apply to Fernando Tatis to an extent who are the best defenders. Cause they get to so many balls that most guys don't get to. There's more opportunities for errors because you, a, you're getting more balls and B you're in a position to make your exactly right. yep. beings can't make, you know, you're exactly right. Yep. But, yeah, New- Newman this year, you combine what he's done defensively, the fact he's finishing the season extremely strong offensively, but I think he had two or three more hits today. You know, I definitely think Newman's back. If nothing else, you have him start the year probably at shortstop. And then as a Diego Castillo or Leovaro Paguero, whoever it may be, kind of comes along, you always move him around. And the thing with Newman, and I talked about this in an article, because of what he is, if he can continue to do this defensively, you don't need to provide a ton offensively to be a quality utility man in the major league. You want league. the balance, yeah. Yeah. If you can be a guy who is going to be a maybe slightly below league average hitter, but a plus defender, you'll take that on your bench all day long, especially when you can play multiple positions, shortstop included. You know, so I definitely think Newman's back. Um, well, Michael, Fred, what do you think? So I, 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 I'm development all the way. Um, I'm with you with Newman in, in the sense of like, if he can do that defensively, why can't he do something extreme offensively? Yeah. So I have a, it's not really a theory anymore. I've proven it, but like <laughs> guys that have the ability to like, you use a vertical jump is probably the best way to, to, to like prove power. So Newman, Newman's probably got a 33 inch roundabout uh, vertical jump. Well, guys like that should be hitting the ball of the yard. So if you could convince him to change the approach and change his movements, I think he could be a power guy or he can decide, Hey, I want to be a speed on base guy. Like he's just got to find the value that he can maximize offensively to have an elite skill there mm-hmm. that aligns. And I, I'm in a, this big thing about you build a team around elite skills, predictable players and average Joes that are great people. Like, <laughs> the three ways you kind of, well, cause like Ben Gamble is my average Joe. Like he's going to grind, he's going to push and he's going to give you everything he has to win. And he, it seems like he has no like understanding that like if he gets hurt, 
he's a free agent. He's gone again. He doesn't yeah. care. He's he very doesn't similar care. like yeah. me and a lot of guys I played with is like, we knew that like this game is short lived. You know, we could have a great year, okay year, bad year. It's just like, today's the day. Let's go play. And mm-hmm. I, I think that guy fits. And I, I've seen him, you know, around Moran, Reynolds, Hayes consistently. They're always going to him. So you can see the value is a lot higher than just what he's doing on the, on the field. Mm. So, yeah, that's why so I'm trying to – like with Newman, I just see like, man, if he would just maximize his athletic ability, what would happen? So, Yeah, I, I think the thing too with Newman is you look at his 2019 season when he was a rookie, like he's proven he can be a very good hitter. You know, again, like you said, that balance. If you can find that balance of getting some sort of semblance of that Newman at the plate with what we've seen this year defensively, you know, that, that's a really good player to have around, especially being able to play multiple positions. So, I mean, I, like I said, I definitely think he's a guy who probably a month or so ago, I would have said I don't think he survives the offseason on the 40-man roster. But with the rebound he's had offensively, I definitely think he's back. If nothing else, you know you're probably going to get quality defense from him at shortstop. And with what's going to be a probably a primarily young pitching staff, that obviously is going to be important too because you want to build those guys up, build up the confidence, that sort of thing, and having a good defensive squad behind them. And I think that's one thing with the Pirates, you know, that really gets overlooked this year is between him, Hayes, Brian Reynolds, and Jacob Stallings, you have four guys who legitimately could win a gold glove. Like they have been a very good defensive team. Excuse me, and that will help the young pitcher. So I think that's one thing with Newman. You know, I think a guy like Alford, I'll be curious with him because he's really, since he's been recalled from the minors, he's another guy who's really turned things around, has made a lot more quality contact, and he's always had the power ability. And you always knew if he could make the good contact, the numbers would be there, and he can play really good defense with the speed and everything. But <clears throat> this offseason, the Pirates, you know, I, I think it's it, – they're going to be in a tough spot with that forty-man roster. Yeah, with yeah. there's literally like 15. I just got I just got the uh, rundown of about thirteen players that are. Yeah, there's like thirteen to fifteen yeah. guys who you definitely want to protect from the roll five draft. Yeah, they've got to get added, and it's it's going to be messy. And then you throw in that you're going to be looking to bring players in in the offseason offseason as well. Like they legitimately might surprised if he flips. Like he's like where they're heavy. Don't be surprised if they flip guys. That's what I've wondered as well, too. Like you kind of look with a very tiny, tiny return. Like if if they can get international money or whatever, yeah. like that's 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 a Sherrington MO. Yeah, because I mean, like you look at like the outfield, for example, you know, you have Cal Mitchell, Conan Smith and Jigma, potentially O'Neill Cruz if he winds up out there. And I think there's an oh um the outfielder they got in the Anderson trade. Uh, Swinsky, I think is his name. Yeah. Keep your eye on him. I, I, I think he's a, a under – they got him, and he's very underrated. Yeah, because he seems like he's got some serious power potential. Yeah. And, and he those guys are – graveyard before he came over. Yeah. Graveyard. <laughs> the, those guys are all Rule 5 eligible. Now, obviously, you're not trading O'Neill Cruz unless somebody offers you something ridiculous. But of – you know, a guy like Cal Mitchell or Smith and Jigba, that's something I've thought about where it wouldn't stun me to see them. I, if we, we might not have the room to protect them. We don't want to leave them unprotected and potentially just lose them for nothing. It's like the, the trading the free agent to be kind of deal, but Hey, if we can trade them and at least get something that's better than nothing. And you know, that is something I have thought about as well. 
if we see Ben Charrington try and go that route this offseason. Right. And, uh, and honestly, like, the reality of it is not even Brian Reynolds is protected. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the reality that Ben Charrington has right now. Now, what it would take to get Brian Reynolds is in a whole nother story. Yeah. So like, but that's, that's, that's kind of the outlook these guys are taking right now. Like you can call, we listen and see what happens, but you're not going to probably give us what we want. Yeah. Cause I remember the story at the trade deadline, whenever the Marlins supposedly called and asked about Brian Reynolds and mm-hmm. the uh, asking price was Max Myers, Sixto Sanchez and uh, JJ blood day. So you're talking three of the top, like, 25 to 30 prospects in all the baseball. Yeah. So again, like you said, if a team's willing to move that, you're not going to say no, right. but at the same time, that's why you set the expectations at that point, because you know, you're probably not going to get it, but Hey, you know what? If you come across that one GM who's willing to take that chance you, you, on your end, you're going to take that same chance because odds are it's going to pay off for you in the long run. Right. That's right. exciting to hear that though. I mean, you know, to think that, Brian Reynolds is probably going to be a pirate for a good while here, but the fact that they're willing to continue to try to add quantity and, you know, just get as many guys as they can for this rebuild. And, you know, we talked earlier about them just kind of adding quantity and then, you know, putting the guys in place. When do we see them start to really try to mold this team and, and, you know, pick those guys? It's timelines, I guess, you know, probably 22, 23 is when you start to look at that window of contention. But, you know, when do we start to see a, a true lineup get formed for this team? I think when they're obviously going to try to tie some guys up if they can. Um, Key Brian Hayes is their best bet right now, um, especially being hurt a couple times. When when reality hits younger players, you know, like I was literally a health year away from a two-year deal. All I had to do was stay healthy. I played hurt. I didn't get my two-year deal. I got designated. Um, and that's the reality. You have to understand that, like, you can bet on yourself completely – but there is a chance you will get hurt and you'll never ever see that contract that your agent's saying you're going to see. And you have to realize he's looking out for himself. You have to look out for you. What's more comfortable. So I think they have a chance with him. I, I think, you know, they'd be really, you know, service to look at Stallings and, and say, Hey, we want to give you, you know, a contract that kind of flows into what you are now. And we want you here as you move forward to be a backup and, and kind of mold some of these guys that are coming in. Um, Cause I think, especially if they go to that DH role, you could still carry three and his value would still be very, 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 very large. Um, especially when he goes back, you think about what he's doing this year and all the run prevention he's created and his receiving is terrible. I mean, just remember his receiving is bad. It was great last year and it's not going to be bad next year. It'll, it'll be back. So like, and that could be partly because of all the moving pieces and whatnot. So you kind of look at that and then you say, okay, what are the prospects doing? How fast are they pushing these guys? When you see Nick Gonzalez, Burroughs, and all these guys go to the fall league, those are high A guys. That means they're ex- they're on an expedited path. If they show anything or they, you know, show flashes because you could be cold for three weeks there and have a bad fall league. And then some of these guys that are going to go play in the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico, if they have big winners, that's going to speed up everything. And that will show in his free agent signings. If he starts signing guys that are in between guys, if he starts signing guys that like, if he signs a, like a Mikey minor who signed a contract while he was hurt rehab with the team. So he could get a, you know, they could get a discount. That's how 
he ended up in Kansas City. You know, like guys like that, like I think that's who I was thinking, uh, uh, was it Drew Smi- Smiley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Smiley did something similar, yeah. Yeah, like when they start doing stuff that's a little like, okay, so they believe, you know, he's hurt, he's going to be a part of this team. Like that's kind of the window they're seeing. You'll start seeing it molding. But when you really see it molding is when they're going to get fill players. And that's when it gets special. Like mm-hmm. when we're worried about in the offseason, like, all right, who's going to be the backup catcher? Uh, who's going to be the backup infielder? Who's going to be – that's when, all right, we're going to be really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, because I, I can think back to when the Pirates had that three-year run there in 13, 14, and 15. And, you know, some of those off-seasons, yes, there was like the off-season they signed Jung Ho Gong and he wound up providing a lot more than was expected – but, like, the one offseason, like, the big move was bringing in Chris Stewart and, like, bringing in John McDonald and guys like that where it's, like you said, you don't have any other holes other than those bench guys, maybe a bullpen arm, maybe a fifth starter, stuff and, like that. And going back to Chris Stewart because that was the year I got designated and I left, you could see that happening because they brought in Russell Martin mm-hmm. with their analytical thought that, hey, this guy's got more to offer, knowing that – the reason he was coming was to bolster his career. Mm-hmm. Get out of the AL East, bolster his career to get his contract. Yep. Well, they leveraged that, right? Like Because the, the intent going into that offseason was find the best comp to work with me. And when they did that, I was like, well, how could you not sign that guy, right? Like, <laughs> how can you not sign a Russell Martin? But yeah. That allowed them to go out and spend $2 million on Chris Stewart. Mm-hmm. you know and that's that's the difference like that's where you can go get a you know a guy that's been around a lot longer more experience and understand you know kind of who they are like you can go get a uh like the cubs went and got ross mm-hmm. right that's what that that's when that stuff starts to happen like the uh that's like san francisco's approach they'll overpay for the those type of things like they went and got a kirk casali and paid him possibly what he would have gotten to split time or even have a chance to start somewhere, but they gave it to him guaranteed because that was an important like spot for them to fill. And you see how their team's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And consoli has been extremely vital to them this season. Yeah. I remember at one point he had like eight straight starts and a bunch of giants and not allow a run. I mean, obviously that's not all on the catcher, but you're, he's really intelligent. Yeah, he's a buddy. Yeah, you're the guy calling the game. You're the guy directing the show out on the field. Essentially, you're you're definitely playing a big role in that. Yeah, he when I, when I was with him, he asked me like thousands of questions, and I told him I was like, own what you want to be. Biggest mistake. I listened to what people told me. So like, I believed I could do something that was never going to give me. I was never going to have that door open. Uh, so like, own what you want to be. And he was like, what do you think I should be? I was like be the best damn backup you can be. And if you get a chance to start, it's really easy. If somebody would have told me that at a young age, I would have been a way better player and I would have focused on different things, but they tell you reach the, for the stars, reach for the moon. Mm -hmm. What if I just grab the thing that's right in front of me and go, instead of trying to always reach for something that maybe comes, maybe doesn't. So that's why I was like, I've been so fired up for him because he owned it. He went to Cincinnati, he owned it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of what you see with Jacob Stallings, too. He's Absolutely. never trying to get out of his character. He's just doing his role, which right. is, you know, huge for this clubhouse. And I think huge for this clubhouse moving forward. And, you know, 
like you said, we after the CBA, we could be looking at rosters a lot differently with the way, you know, even the catchers are, especially with this clubhouse and they've been drafting and everything else, trading. What do you think is going to happen in December, Michael? You know, there's a lot of rule changes potentially going down. And, you know, this is going to be maybe one of the craziest CBAs we've ever seen. This is going to drastically change the game of baseball. We got a taste of it last season. But but which rule changes do you really see coming to fruition? And, you know, how's that going to change the game? Let me ask you guys, like, what do you, what do you think – they're fighting over and what do you think is important to them i think first and foremost it's got to be the designated hitter yeah that's my thought because i could be wrong but looking at it from the players association point of view i've got to assume the dh is attractive to them because you can have guys extend careers there's more money to be made for players because of the careers extending and you know like, look at the Pirates. Like, look at Yoshi Susugo as an example. He's a guy who, if the National League has the DH next year, he probably goes from having the American League with maybe a couple of National League teams interested to having all of baseball interested in him in the offseason because you don't have to worry about finding him a place in the field. You just put him in the lineup and let him go hit bombs. Right, right. What about, what about like, the outside stuff? Like, the betting and, and stuff like that? Like, what, what do you think is going to be a holdup? I use that because, like, I heard that the other day from a very intelligent human, and that is yeah. a Hall of Fame guy, and he said it, and I was like, I didn't think about that one. Yeah. So they haven't shared that revenue with the players, and I didn't know that. Yeah, that he is caught up on all that stuff yet. So that's I what you guys think. You know, my my, I guess, quick opinion on that. I, I think that these players and we've kind of seen it marty and i do a lot of coverage of college athletics and you know this nil has it hasn't changed things that much you know with the the players making money now i think that these major leaguers are you know are just so uber focused on what you're doing that that you know they're not extremely concerned with that one as much but um you know i think that any more money is certainly something that that they're going to try to fight for at the cba mm -hmm. and um you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that get changed yeah um, that being said, my biggest fear is that, uh, they don't get it done. Uh, yeah, that's definitely, that's a huge that's fear. Real. I've never had that before. Uh, we saw how easy it was during COVID. So yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. No I, was, I was worried about a CBA not getting done before that. And then all of the butting of heads and arguing and everything last summer, I mean, like, that's when I really, as a baseball fan in, you know, we love baseball. If you listen to this, you odds are you love baseball. But unfortunately, baseball was not as popular as it once was in the States. And the last thing baseball can afford is any sort of labor dispute, lockout, anything like that that could potentially hurt the popularity of the sport further. Agreed. See, that it may not be as popular, but it's making more money than it's ever made. Yeah. So like, it, it's like a catch-22. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the pirate – like. Bob Nutting is way, way, way wealthier by owning the Pirates than he was when he first bought them. Mm. And every team that gets sold, that value keeps rising. And all these social platforms and all these opportunities to sign contracts, like there's a reason that they're testing the waters with Snapchat, YouTube, uh, talking to the guy from Baller Store, talking to the guy over here and over here. They're trying to get their hands in everything. And like, it's going to be really intriguing. Um, I, I think the MLBs outplayed them, to be honest. I'm a players' union guy, obviously, but the players' union is hyper-focused on, you know, the, the top 1% in, 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 the, in the game, and the money that they make isn't realistic because 99% of the guys 
will never make that type of money. So I hope and pray that it gets done. And I do think the DH is going to come. I think they're going to try to push some other things. But I, I think Rob Manford has monopolized the changes by doing what he's doing in the minor leagues. And those guys are going to be ingrained a different way. So when they come, they're not going to fight. So that's, that's a reality. Like Rob Manford and his cronies are doing a really good job of <laughs> working it from the bottom. You know, they're in college now. You know, they have a college draft league. I mean, they're getting these guys early. I mean, all the mm-hmm. rules they're doing, they're, they're having like literally like science projects. So they can see what they like, what they don't like, and then implement it as a business strategy, not as a player strategy. Yeah, and, you know, with the minor leagues, that is one other thing I'm sure that will come up in the players' side of it because it's something that I feel like a lot of light has finally been shed on in recent years is the discrepancy in pay for those minor leaguers and how often we're seeing guys stuck sleeping in hotel lobbies on the team bus, whatever it might be, is I, I think that now that there's been so much more light shed on that in recent years of the treatment of minor leaguers not always being pristine that we could see I at least I would think we could see players try and fight for that more too. I I hope so. I I'm not gonna hold my breath on that one. <laughs> Do you think uh, I hope so. I and I think the, the real fight they have guys is if they would focus on kind of like the NBA, like nail down the like top two like double A triple A. Like like I don't know how they could do this, but if I was the PA, I would start my own development league and I would try to pull all those guys that are like in that the lower minor league level and convince them that they have leverage over here. If they come play, mm. I don't know what that would take, but yeah. that would give the power back to them and take it away from the MLB and they could get paid better. Yeah. They would get paid off the actual attendance and actual things. It wouldn't be MLB owns the team. There's an owner there. That's get his share. That doesn't even get paid to them. The actual team pays them. So the gate, the concessions, everything there never matter for the players. So mm-hmm. maybe that could be something, but I doubt it. Um, we'll see. I'm I'm very intrigued. I haven't read it. I, I get the updates with my username, but I have not read it because I'm afraid I'd just get frustrated. <laughs> so, because I, I think about it in the sense of like, what what do the fans want? Like, what do they need and how can we keep as many players on the field? How can we keep Mike Trout and guys like that healthy? Mm -hmm. That should be the only concern, like, in my opinion, because there's more money to be made than you could ever make in your entire life. And then I also think about the minor leaguers after that is like, how can I convince the top players to give 1% of their salary and shift it down as a charitable cause? I'm going to help these guys fight for their dream Here's one percent of my salary. We have to do that as an MLB, as a you as a union due, and we we pay union dues, and we have this MLB due every single day. Seventy five, eighty five dollars comes out of your paycheck to go to the, be a major league baseball player. We'll do the same thing. Seventy five, eighty five dollars comes out every single player's pay to go to the minor leaguers, right? And it's mm-hmm. a I mean, charitable that's event, right? You write it off. Tax. It'll help you with taxes, like. Let's make sure it benefits everybody so everybody's happy and they can argue about it for a little while and it's over. Just, I just hope they get creative. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, you, you'd hope there's at least a little bit of open-mindedness this go around. Yeah. Cause that was, you know, that was the one thing this, this past go around. It almost seemed like they didn't want to agree on anything because of their arguments, not even what was the, you know, the content of it. Um, but you know, it's, it's going to take some creativity to, to compensate minor leaguers correctly and, you know, kind of make waves in baseball. And, you know, while the popularity is waning, I think that that baseball is doing a good job of, mm-hmm. you know, making sure the stars are, are really bright right now. The Fernando Tatises and, yeah. you know, these type players are really getting put in the spotlight. Um, and, you know, the, you're about to turn that up. There's yeah, a lot and, of jobs available for like people to brand these guys. And I was going to ask you guys, you know, what do you think that that looks like in five years, 10 years? You know, these superstars only continue to maybe separate themselves from the everyday player. What's the, the power balance going to look like in baseball? Take it away, Marty. Um, yeah, I'll be curious to see because one thing that I think definitely is working in baseball's favor right now is, at least in, in my lifetime, I think this is the biggest crop of marketable, legitimate superstar-type players they've had. With Mike Trout, Shoei Otani, Fernando Tatis, Vlad Jr., Basically, the White Sox entire roster. You know? <laughs> so true, the monster. <laughs> it is. So, even like a guy like Francisco Lindor and even Judge and Stanton, they've been around a little while, but everybody knows who they are. Like baseball has so many marketable, legitimate superstars right now. And I don't remember it ever being this way. Even like in the early 2000s, at kind of like the peak of the steroid era, yeah, you had Bonds, yeah, you had Sosa, yeah, you had McGuire, but outside of those three, you didn't hear a whole lot about other guys. There are so many players in baseball right now that are excited. I mean, I completely forgot about Bryce Harper, who is currently putting together one of the best seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. Like, you have so many young, marketable guys who are superstar players and who are exciting to watch, and they have these personalities that I do think that is one thing is definitely going to work in baseball's favor in the coming years with trying to market the game. And now, yes, that's probably going to create some sort of a gap, some sort of discrepancy between those guys at the top of the league and some of the other guys. But, you know, you're, you're going to have that in sports. Yeah, guys will get it. Guys will understand it. And, again, it goes back, like we said, if your team has two or three superstars on it and they're getting the attention, but your team's winning 95 games, probably not going to be very upset because, ultimately, you're going out there, you're playing the sport you love, you're winning baseball games, you're going to be happy. Yeah, and I, I think – I hope the mindset shifts from old free agency. That's another thing I hope they figure out how to – because like the Tati signing, the Bryce Harper signing, those things make sense. Those guys mm-hmm. – Bryce Harper will be 37 when he's done, not 42 like Pools. Yeah. Like Pools is like playing amazing in L.A. He's kind of like been a resurgence of sort, but he's doing what he should be doing. He's, he's, he's mentoring. He's not over mm-hmm. – like, like I guess – overdoing it where he can't recover properly. Yeah. Like, and at the end of the day, like he's been beat up. He's played a lot of baseball and he's able to he's get in with over 20 homers, pretty much what he's hit the last couple of years with not even half the bats. So that's, that's what I think you start looking at is like, how can you leverage these guys in the right way and, and make this to where like the right guys are signing for $300 million and mm. like, Chris Davis is a great human, but like that lets <laughs> those things happen. Yeah. Because like, I, I, I get it. Like you're guaranteed money and all that, but like there has to be a balance of like, you know, if you get hurt in the first or second year, like what, what are we going to do here? Like even though the insurance can 60% of this can be insurance pay, 
it's still like those things kill the fan base, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's something that's tragic. Like Prince Fielder, it was very like, oh man, you know, he hit 45 homers and then he, he has something that if his neck gets hit one way, he could, yeah, lights out. Like yeah. that, that, I think everybody has sympathy for, but yeah, absolutely. the other stuff, you just want to balance that out because it, it, it can never happen for the Pirates because you can't miss more than once. Mm-hmm. If you sign a guy, if you sign Key Brian Hayes two hundred million dollar contract, thirteen years, you can't miss. Yeah, yeah. And I do think with the free agency thing, I feel like we have seen that in recent years start to change. You know, I remember at least the last couple off seasons, there being frustration on the ends of players and of uh, of agents and not getting the contracts they felt should have been available and that sort of thing. So I do think you're seeing teams start to sway that way. And like you said, it's only going to do good for the sport because, you know, I think Pools is a great example. Like I remember to me, Albert Pools is always going to be the Albert Pools of when he Cardinals of the dude was it one had a a while there where he was maybe the best right-handed hitter that's ever lived. But you have some of this younger generation who to them, that's not who Albert Pools is. So by having these guys not sign these massive contracts into their 40s well past their prime, you're not going to have that happen, and that also is only going to do good things for the game. Completely agree. Completely agree. And be interested to see how they do this because, like, there's a lot more questions than there are answers, and I think a lot of it's good for the game because it's going to be maybe a monumental shift. It's just Mm -hmm. where's the focus, you know? Like, I think replay is something that, like was the great it was a great idea the way it's been executed kind of stinks you know yeah I, I i think like they can kind of reevaluate that and figure out how to make it smoother because you have guys protecting their guys of course and you know you just want it to get right so and not take so so much time yeah, no doubt about it. It's a it's a beautiful thing to have replay, but you want to perfect it, and you hope that these rule changes. You know, probably some of them are going to be drastic. You hope that they take the amount of time necessary to get them right and to make sure that baseball isn't changed too drastically from what it is now. Um, but you know, we're, we're going to have to see. It's going to be a crazy off season. Michael, uh, AT and T Sports is giving me a call. They want their on air talent back, so we uh, we won't take you take you too much here, but. Uh, your That's final good. thoughts before we get out of here, just on this season, what's to come this off season and everything going on in baseball right now? Uh, I think a lot of news, um, hopefully a, a lot of development. I'm even going to get into trying to get some of these younger guys, get around cage with them. Um, I think we might have lost Mike there. Mike. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there so go. I, I'm just excited to learn. Yeah, I'm, more than anything, it's 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 an opportunity this off season to just like see what's gonna be. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things we could have. A, we could have a floor for the first time in baseball history. What is that gonna look like? Like a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of questions that I think are gonna be answered, and I think there's gonna be a lot of shifts and. You know, what would happen if the Pirates have to spend $100 million next year? Team's going to look a lot different, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's how do you, just the touch of the floor how thing. How do you take money away? What, like, it's just like. 
It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, real quick, just touch on the floor thing. You know, if you get in that position, obviously that changes the entire roster for next year because you got to go out and spend the money. You know, maybe you see them bring in just to throw a name, like not necessarily Kevin Kiermeyer, but a player like a Kevin Kiermeyer might be having this big contract with a lot of money left on and their team might look to move on because of other players. You know, it'll be, be very interesting to see what happens. And it's a, it's definitely going to be a uh, topsy turvy off season. I feel for baseball fans because that, that's CBA. I, I think if, even if when it's going to get done eventually, obviously, but yeah. the road from the end of the world series to getting that thing done, is not going to be a fun one, and it's probably not going to be a pretty one for baseball. No, it, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is – you know, be... I don't think guys will hold the line. Does that make sense? Am I, what, you guys got me? Yeah, we got so, you. Yeah. I just hope, I just hope, yeah, I hope it gets it done and I hope it moves forward. So, yeah. Yeah. Gotta hope it's smooth. If nothing else, yeah, you have to hope that they can find some common ground and handle this better. And you know, this past year, it was a much more turbulent time. It was a different time. The world was kind of having to deal with a lot while they were trying to get all that sorted out. So you gotta hope that this is a little bit more civil and uh they can get things done efficiently this December. But Michael, hopefully we can have the chance to talk to you before then. It's it's been too long. It's been so nice being able to catch up. Thanks so much for coming on as always. Hey, anytime. Thank you guys. Always good to talk shop and I love your all's brain in this game. <laughs> no doubt Thanks, about Mike. it. We appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate no you guys. Guys, you can find our shows, as always, at Apple Music, Spotify, Omni.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Go to rumbunter.com. Check out our articles from all kinds of staff writers, Vincent Spallone, Marty Leap, Nick Caparosta, Noah Wright. We got so much content out right now, wrapping up this season. And guys, don't forget to go to manscaped.com and use code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off and free shipping. For Marty Leap, and Michael McHenry. My name is Trey Entity. This has been Rum Buncher Radio. Let's go bust. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.